0: packing going
1: it's going it's going it's uh yeah it's it's, it's, actually i have to say i'm pretty pretty happy with how it is we still have a few boxes but i don't think that is uh too bad we've been in 10 days so yeah we've got a few boxes still lurking in the living room uh we just need to find um find a where that where best to put them and then
0: uh yeah we're sorted. We had to do a lot of cleaning and, and bits and pieces, so we had a few other priorities. Actually I should have known that you'd be organized. I don't even know why I asked the question thinking you'd say that you were still submerged in boxes because knowing you as I do, you get in, there's a task. It's a bit like getting our podcast up and running. We had a chat, we thought oh, maybe we should do this. Next minute you're like, right, let's go. <laughs> so I should have known yeah. that you would be unpacked. We've been in our current house, I wanna say five years. And there's still a room full of boxes. It was due to be an office. It's still due to be an office. But there's still stuff I think I haven't unpacked. And I can blame everything. I can blame children and work and life. But I think it's just me a little bit. Do you know what I mean? I think. (laughs) Yeah. I think. So I should have known that you're pretty much, you've pretty much nailed it. and, And the boxes. You know what? If I ever move house, can I hire you to come and just do it? Did you do that <laughs> i don't know if that's necessarily a skill of
1: mine but uh yeah i i i i know what you mean i think it's fine to blame stuff to be honest i'm like i'm i think uh, ben said to me today you know what when are these boxes going to go <laughs> and i was like well I'm, you know i'm in the middle of doing madrid at the moment which is taking priority so
0: uh i'm off i'm off a bit next week so next week sounds good whereas my other half is like Are there still boxes? I'm like, yes, and they are yours. (laughs) Very different dynamics here. Uh, Madrid, you mentioned (laughs) mentioned Madrid. The weird thing about Madrid is you have this women's tournament, which as we speak, what day are we? Because it's bank holiday in the UK, so it always gets me. We are, is it Thursday today? It's Thursday's day. It is. Yes, it is. we've um, We've got a women's tournament that's at the semi-final stage. And yep. we've got a men's tournament that's at the third round stage. So it's quite hard when you're I'm not working on Madrid but I'm following it. It's kind of like, okay, so they're at the semifinals. Wow, they're just getting started. So it's a little bit so we're nearly there. And I, I don't know I know you're working on, on the men's tournament, but the women's, um, Teichmann and Pegula against and then Alexandrova against Jabur, I mean, probably not the four we would have put in for the final four at the start of the tournament. No,
1: it's been extraordinary. I mean, the seeds tumbled out very, very quickly. Um, the, were, we were missing a few of the top players anyway. Sjontek wasn't playing. Yeah. Craig Chicova is still out injured. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, what an amazing opportunity for one of those four And uh, for Ons, it's felt like a little bit of a long time coming, hasn't it? The last 12 months, she's been threatening so much and played some fantastic tennis. But, you know, the pressure is on for her when you look at those four, really, isn't it? Um, And it's still tough um, with the ones that are remaining. So uh, it's been uh, really good fun to watch, I think, the women's, because we have had those newer names getting on the big stadiums and playing those big matches, which, well, I say newer, not necessarily newer, but newer to
0: this stage of it of a tournament and and including players we haven't seen for a while like Bianca Andreescu I have such a soft spot for Andreescu and I'm just so happy to see her and, and playing some of the tennis that she's been playing it's just if she can stay fit and healthy it's going to be so good to have her back on tour Why do you think you have a soft spot for her? What do you think it is about her? I... I like her I like her attitude. I like it's it's weird. it's a little bit and I know you'll disagree with me. I have a bit of a soft spot for Sophia Kennan. And everyone's like, "What? She kind of stamps around. She kind of looks like she's sulking a lot of the time." I just I like Andreescu uh, Andreescu's I like the attitude. I just there's something about when she plays on the court and I remember interviewing her at Eastbourne and of all the players I was interviewing, the WTA players she was the one for me that had the presence. Do you know that, I don't know how you even describe a presence, but do you know what I mean? Like when I went to interview her, she felt like she had a presence and she was so smiley and so nice and so friendly. But I think she's got some attitudes. she got fantastic game. I like her story. I like the way she talks. I, I don't know. I just, I just, there's a little bit of everything that I just, I like Andreescu and I like her being part of the tour. Yeah,
1: look, I, I, I couldn't be in more agreement I, on both counts. We know that we're that tennis is a big Kennin fan. Uh, the, the, the pod, both of us, we've done we've done quite a lot of uh, of chat about Kennan, but also Andres. Oh, good news um, on Kennin is that she seems to be recovering from her injury. We've seen some training updates and that sort of thing. So that's that's yeah, all looking that's positive, positive. But so fingers crossed, we see her back. But um, for Andrescu, I'm just desperate, desperate for desperate to see peak andrescu against peak osaka on a hard court it, j- oh. it just oh. it's never happened they didn't overlap with their peaks and it would just be extraordinary i mean unbelievable because for me you know no one has played that level of tennis on a hard court um since serena was at her peak but that was some years ago so yeah. in the last sort of 5 years Hard court tennis for me it has been those two. who knows what Ash would have gone on to do after winning the Australian Open She might have been able to challenge it again with a slightly different game style, but Osaka Andrescu thing, it's quite a similar game style. It's that big baseline hitting from the back of the court and you've got the drop shots from Andrescu that Osaka's not going to like anyway, um, I would have loved oh I still would love for that to be a rivalry I'm desperate for Andrescu to get back to uh, get to, back to her peak.
0: Yeah, I I just love watching watching her play. I love the attitude that she has. Um, Yeah, so just Mm. fingers crossed she stays healthy. When I'm talking about healthy, now this is a question for you because um, it might be a very simple answer, but Emma Raducanu did some really good things in Madrid, but then talk of another injury for Emma Raducanu. Now, she's had a few since, and we know this is her first full season on tour. Is this, and you might not know the answer to this, or it might be a simple answer, is it, no, and I, I can't even use her age because you've got Svantec, who's he's not much older at 20. So there are young players who are not getting a lot of injuries. But with Raducanu, because, you know, whether it's blisters or back, etc., could it be just the pressure of not going from nothing to everything? I mean that in the sense of tour playing in the sense of coming through the US Open, and now she's on the tour full time. Do you think that could be a reason for some of these injuries? Is it just her body maturing? Is it just some people are more injury prone than others? I think she just hasn't done it enough, really. And it's
1: not her fault. It's just how it's worked out. Um, you know, when you go through the, the challenges, and you work your way up, part of it is your body adapting to each stage. And you know, when you first achieve something, you're going to be feeling very stiff, very sore, uh, playing at a certain level, and then your body gets used to it, and then that stop stops happening. Um, you know, so uh, there is that part of it, which I think is the main part, really. It's just the body getting used to things, and then the other part is that she has always been slightly injury prone. Nothing super serious, nothing mega. There are injury prone players where it gets goes really bad, and it's nothing like that. So it's no reason to panic, but really for years she's been playing with niggles or tape and and all those sorts of things going on so um it's just something that I think she's used to managing um and definitely I mean this is a you know stratospheric leap up in level that she is uh is is working with so um yeah the body's just taking a bit of a hit um but you know okay so some people would say she's getting injury after injury after injury. And they're always different as well, right? It's not the same thing. It's always something different. Uh, It was blisters on the hand and then it was blisters on the feet or or whatever it is. But um, she is also not getting seriously injured. So she is managing it to an extent. So there's a a good amount of success, but it's obviously not ideal. Her and her team would love to get to the point where uh, she wasn't, constantly having to manage this because it's draining it's just very annoying and distracting when you're playing a match if you've got something that hurts whether it's a blister a cut or a pulled muscle whatever it might be it's just annoying and you just want to get on and and play really but um yeah so I mean she played very very well in Madrid Uh, there are some significant improvements I think in her game could be in the nick of time for the grass which would be very very helpful of course with so much focus on her but yeah I think no
0: reason for real concern God, the amount of talking we are going to be doing about Emma Raducanu when the grass kicks in is going to be insane. As much as we're going to try and temper it and not go over the top with it, even on this podcast, there's going to be so much focus. There is going to be so much talk. So to actually be Raducanu herself and what's about to to happen even though what's already happened you just feel it's going to be another level again you think well how could it be another level again she's won the US Open from nowhere and she's been to the the Met Ball or the Met Gala the one not the one we just had the one before but Gross I mean you've talked in the past about the pressure of yourself coming into Wimbledon suddenly the people wanting to do interviews and press conferences you just feel that Radha she's gonna have to be so mentally I know we're talking about being physically strong she's gonna to have to be so mentally strong coming into this grass court season
1: yeah I suppose the good thing is is that the demand for her time and attention is there everywhere she goes so yeah, yeah. it's gonna be yeah. ramped up big time at the grass but it's not like it's just gonna happen out of nowhere she's very used to having a thousand and one requests every tournament that she goes to <laughs> so um yeah so I don't think it will throw her off too much um it will just, I think, just be a combination. As I say, the expectations, the extra eyeballs on her, especially in the UK. Um, So that will be, uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how how she deals with it. I I think she's going to do
0: pretty well with it. Talking about expectations, someone who is seems to be navigating it very well, is Coco Golf. And I read, I don't know if you saw, a lovely piece done by a colleague and good friend Reem Abelel. I think it was for Eurosport when she, and for Reem it's fabulous because she's been remote like so many of us for so long. And now she's back on the road and she's in Madrid so she can speak to coaches and families and players. And so nice for these guys to be back out there and and face to face with the the players and the support staff, but she did, I don't know if you read it, it it's a lovely piece with Coco Gough and the dad, Corey, who's also the coach, just about managing expectations and having been around for so long already and she's still so young and some other players on tour, she said sort of regularly forget how, young she still is and wanting to be the best and and having to sort of get the right team around her and realize that there's more to life than tennis which when you think about it for someone still so young it's it's a very grown-up attitude to have but she just seems to have good people around her and she's starting to manage expectations
1: yeah it's it's felt like it's steadied out a bit I think they've made some different decisions some changes um it's a hard one to call because you can't blame them for getting caught up in the call me Coco wave that we had Yeah, Uh, much like with Emma and her endorsement deals. Of course, this is, this is the point you've dedicated your life to this. You are one of the best in the world and any endorsement deals that come your your way. Yes, please. I mean, I defy anybody to say, (laughs) Oh no, 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 that's, that's too much money. No, thank you. Um, And, you know, I mean, Coco was signing a million dollar deal at 15. So it was uh, absolutely extraordinary. So but I think that it was then what all came with that. I think that's also something that we're going to see Emma work out as well, because um, I mean, the the biggest thing for me was the Coco entourage. It was. It was enormous. unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen an entourage like that for anyone. I can't think of anyone... I mean, because she would have her player box rammed full and then would have at least another two (laughs) rows behind rammed full. I don't know how she was getting her hands on these sorts of tickets because it's hard for players to (laughs) to get that amount of tickets and get those amount of people in the building. And uh, yeah, so it was... Huge, and none of those people were of kids her own age or friends or anyone no, like no. that. Uh, and I'm not saying that that is an easy thing to do. I'm just it's just a, a, an observation. Uh, so that you know, they're all adults and, and and whatever. So that's all gone away now, which I think is right. Take the endorsement deals but then get rid of the entourage, the hanger-oners and that sort of thing. And it's about that fine balance. Of course, you want to maximise you, your business, everything finan- financially. Look, Serena's set to become the first billionaire is it billionaire female athlete? I don't know what she's 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 going to be a billionaire. She's going to be a billionaire. I mean, who cares? (laughs) Right. Um, So like, look, of course, you know, the players want to do that. And it's something that we love about tennis, that the level of opportunity is bigger than in any other female sport. And, uh yeah, but it's hard when that's happening as a teenager. It's, it, it's difficult to get it all right and they're going to make some mistakes. Um, but it is really nice. And I, I did really enjoy uh, Reem's article and to hear it, what we're hearing is sort of mirroring what we're seeing. I think we're seeing Coco playing very calmly, self-assured on the court um i think she looks really really great that that, that little frantic edge has gone which is which is good still some question marks technique on the serve second serve double faults you know where we're at with that but it's going to be constant improvement i'm sure and then also with the less people around and it just seems to be a bit more of a professional operation going on so the article just seemed to really say that they're in a good place they've had to deal with an awful lot and uh you know everyone's looking forward um, and I think that's what we're seeing from her. So I
0: really I really buy into it. Yeah, I to hear from her dad as well, telling her, and he wasn't suggesting she's not putting the work in, but sort of saying to her, if you want to be the best of the very, very, very best, you're going to have to work like them and you're going to have to put in that effort and you're going to have to do everything. And we talked about this numerous times before, Medvedev made that leap by realising that he had to go the extra mile. Whatever that extra mile is for that person, whether it's cutting out something, doing more of something, figuring out yourself, listening to someone that maybe you hadn't listened to in the past, whatever it is, you have to have that moment when you think, OK, that's the extra thing I have to do to get where I need to be. And, and look, a lot of the younger players have family on tour. He's also her main coach, they have other people working with her, but it just, uh, and the mother isn't always there, because obviously it's not just Coco and the family, but uh, yeah, it, uh, but you're right, it, it's a, it seems like a lovely family, and yes, the entourage, which I remember, say was at USA, but I remember just counting the rows and thinking that is the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. <laughs> they just, they went on for miles. But you're right, it seems like the deals are done, things have settled, and she's, she's figuring herself out. It's what any teenage girl or boy does at that age, they've got to figure themselves out anyway. And, and like Radicano, they're kind of doing it in the, in the media glare um which i don't know does this right? there's two ways we could go now now this could lead us on to retirement <laughs> we could go from the extremes of starting out to retirement or there was something and someone that you wanted to talk about last week for this week
1: uh yeah well let's talk about we can talk about the retirements first yeah i think that's yeah. uh, that'll be a, a good way to go although actually why don't we go to the opposite end of retirement's Agnieszka Radvanska, what's going on there? I hear she is uh making a comeback. Now I'm I don't know if this is 100% confirmed. I saw quotes from her and I, I sort of I'm I'm not 100% convinced um what what's going on. But
0: apparently she's coming back. And so, hang on. uh she's she's had a baby, hasn't she? Yes, she did, yeah. Yeah. So do you think but do you think I was thinking I didn't see anything about the comeback, but I've seen her with her sort of, I think she's about 1 or something, it's know. Yeah. Do you think it's that kind of I don't, I mean, I remember you telling me, I know this was different, you were younger and then it, there's been a few years, but part of the reason was, you know, you look ahead, you want to have the family, you want to settle down. Do you think maybe in some of these cases, and we've seen this with some sort of mums coming back, that, you know, one of the motivations maybe to stop is to settle and have a family. And once that's kind of underway, you start thinking, well, hang on a second, I'm still, in their cases, in pretty good nick. I could maybe balance this. There's there's more, it's more accommodating now, isn't it, for mums in terms of childcare and creches on tour that maybe, and and add into that, I probably kind of missed what I did for so long. Well, yeah, I think it's also seeing that it's
1: possible. You know, we're seeing yeah, Azarenka yeah. on tour yeah. and Tatiana Maria now with her couple of uh, kids. And yeah. it, it, as you say, it is much more set up for it. It's just much more normal. And you can see what... Serena's been able to achieve after having a baby as a renka you know it it's uh yeah I mean it, it's there right it's it's an option it's a that I don't think can be ignored so um I, I think we'll see more and more players sort of doing something similar I mean of course Kim Clijsters uh with uh yeah. what what she was doing there but I think people sort of put that down to being a bit phenomenal I would think at the time it was just so ridiculous what she was doing. But now it, it's sort of like, oh, OK, yeah, somebody's coming back from from having a having a, a baby like that. Just yeah, sure. Great. Good for them. It, it's just about whether you can make that life work on tour. I mean, Joanna Conta said that you know, she hasn't had a baby yet, but she was saying that, yeah, you know, I I don't imagine that that is the way that I would go. But you never know. As I say, it's an option now. It wasn't didn't really feel like an option before. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's exciting anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I've actually spoken to a player who said they'd love to sort of experience motherhood and then resume their career, you know, just it, because, again, it's it's possible. And these things, one person I don't think we'll see back is Caroline Wozniaki. I, I don't, I don't see, I know she, she's dealing with other things physically as well, but I don't know about you, I don't see her, unless you know different, I don't see her making a return to tennis. No, I, I agree. Um, but I don't know, if she did, great. That'd be cool, yeah no great yeah she was I saw a picture of her at the at the Met Gala ball, which one do I call it don't know, maybe both, but I saw a picture of her. i just i don't see her I don't see her coming back, but Taylor Townsend didn't she recently win one of the uh lower level tournaments she's at yeah, a hundred k yeah, and then she said, I love it. She said, right, back to the day job, <laughs> which is great because that's an interesting way of viewing it. Because pre baby, tennis was the day job. Yeah. And she's kind of saying, you know, my day job's my little one. But I, as, and she's been doing stuff for Tennis Channel. So I think you're right. The big, the big thing in there is it's possible. And a few years ago, it wasn't. And, and I, I speak to players, uh, these are male players who are long retired. I spoke to one and he said that he, didn't want to have children while he was playing, because he said tennis was too much. Too he had to be too selfish, you know. And that's going from the guy's point of view. But he said, I, I didn't want you know, the distractions and I had to really focus on myself. So he didn't start a family till he was retired. And you could say it could be slightly easier for the man to start a family and maybe just then the the family or the wife won't travel so much. But he actually said, I I didn't want those. I didn't want those distractions. And again, when he was playing you didn't have everything in place to make it possible again. So uh yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we're going to see more more players more players do that. Whether it's men starting a family earlier or or women having one and coming back. But someone who started a family isn't coming back as confirmed he's not coming back is Kevin Anderson. Yes, it is the,
1: the farewell of um of big Kev, uh which is a nice opportunity to really reflect on what he has achieved. I mean, what a maximizer in in terms yeah. of getting the absolute most out of him. Two grand slam finals. Am I correct? Yep. Two yeah. U.S. Sam Open, finals. Wimbledon, and Wimbledon, and uh, yeah, it's, it's always a nice opportunity to relive uh, the best moments, isn't it, of a of a career? But um, yeah, it's been difficult for him recently. The body's just sort of said, "Look, I think we're I think we're done here, Kev," and um, <laughs> and uh, he, he he's just. Someone, I mean, you just could not have asked for more in, say, like a player to work with as a coach, you know, so much energy on the court the whole time. He was more than just a big serve and big forehand as, you know, some of the the tall guys can be. Um, Yeah, an amazing... Uh, career an amazing achievement i i just yeah i mean he's had some fantastic matches from uh from kevin and i, I mean the attitude that's the thing that stands out the most isn't it i mean that relentless positivity the att- i mean sometimes did border on a little bit ridiculous like <laughs> second point of the match and there's this massive come on like just just shouting
0: at himself come on come on come on and he's like okay, but do you remember when here. do you remember when he went through that concerted change to do that because everyone's like because he's, he's such a nice guy and I was like oh he's so nice it's something we level at Marin Cilic oh he's so nice he's too nice and then Kevin Anson made this change to do these commands and these fist pumping after as you say first second every point and at first it, it just was so not him we were like what's he doing but you know that change in him You know, he got to the final of the US Open in in 2017. There was Wimbledon in in 2018. But you're right, it it didn't fit. It felt, especially at first, it felt quite forced, didn't it? That he was constantly kind of trying to gee himself up. Yeah, it it was a little bit jarring
1: at first, but it it worked. And, you know, you do have to sort of dig deep into areas of your personality that aren't necessarily natural, Um, you know. I mean, just some people are naturally that competitive and sort of lunatics with it and other people they need to each stage they hit they need to find a bit more find a bit more um you know to be able to to bring what they need to to the court so <laughs> you've got to work with what you've got haven't you but uh no just just brilliant i mean no one has a bad word to to say about kevin he's just been awesome i hope he stays involved in the sport Um, You know, also as a as a South African player, um, you know, because we don't have an abundance of South African players, it's um, been so important for him to be right at the top of the sport. I think for uh, for for that nation and everything that he's done up. Yeah, I just I couldn't rave about him anymore. Wouldn't you just love to just have a nice chat
0: with him? He just seems like the nicest guy. He's such a nice guy, and his wife Kelsey as well. And she made the decision. I think she had a job as an accountant. She was a, a a stunningly good golfer to travel with him full time. And she was um, writing about it, wasn't she? She was writing about life on tour and about the finances. And it was so interesting. She was talking about how much money they would spend in flights in a year. And that at one stage, you know, Kevin, they'd share a room. It was only when she started traveling, they had to get the extra room and that's the extra money. And it was just such an interesting insight that she broke down the finances and how much it actually cost if you were traveling and and everything that goes with it and she was always happy I remember she'd be always happy to talk and to give you her time and it was just yeah she gave you I know isn't it Taylor Fritz's girlfriend was kind of blogging or following the tour with with Taylor Fritz and kind of doing posts and pieces about tennis and how it's so cool and it's so fun and and giving an insight and I think what Kelsey did was kind of opened up how expensive it is? Yes, for the guys at the very top, right? Novak Djokovic probably hasn't got a clue what he spends on flights. Actually, it's probably his own plane. I mean, I don't know, but you know, for those lower down, and you know about this, you know the costs and having to travel. So, uh, yeah, they were they were lovely. They were, uh, but you know, and we mentioned his his finals, but it was that Wimbledon semi final, twenty eighteen, John Isner, over what it was six and a half hours, and and it finished him off. I remember him saying afterwards that. The, the night before the final, he was calling his physio like 2 a.m., screaming in pain, and that Kelsey was having to get the physio to go into his room to look at him because he was in so much pain. It, mm. it, it killed any chance he would have had in that final because, and that's, the rules started to change, and now we know those matches uh, will not go on and on and on and on. But oh, I remember at the time, it you know, it poor old Isner and long matches, but there was Isner... Um, against Anderson, and, but he was broken, wasn't he? He'd, he'd reached the Wimbledon final, and you knew as he walked out that he was physically completely broken.
1: Well, you have to be. It's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, how you can come back and play uh, the day after that and the, the most important part of your career. So, yeah, um, that was probably the most memorable moment, wasn't it? um i think in in his career so yeah i'm the thing is it's like people say oh you know it's sad news i mean it's not sad news because i'm happy for him i'm sure he's gonna go on to some great things and live a really great and happy life but uh, it's a shame for us that we don't get to see him play anymore because he was always fun
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help Andy Murray should have been playing Novak Djokovic, but the statement came through that Andy Murray had pulled out due to illness. What have you made of what has gone on in Madrid to this point? Yeah, such a shame, that big blow Mm. for Andy.
1: He'd played so, so well to give himself the chance of a a crack of Djokovic. And you know he would have just been chomping at the bit for that. So uh, (laughs) he must be uh, very unwell to not be able to take to the court. So, um, yeah, no, he was, uh, yeah, he was great. Um, really, he's he's played very very well. Things are looking good for the grass court season, that's for sure. Um, and what else has been going on in Madrid? You know, it's just this thing with tennis tournaments; it all does start to blur. They, st- into- <laughs> they
0: blend, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got we've got Nadal and Djokovic first draw together since Roland Garros twenty twenty one. So course. they're in they're in the so top. Nadal has also, looked
1: Nadal's played one match and has looked very very strong. Yeah. Um, Excellent. I think he did uh, a really good job. Uh, Djokovic also very, very... like Everybody's playing really well. It's a it's a very exciting draw. The men's draw has panned out quite differently to the women's in that it's felt really stacked with experience and you yeah, have had quite yeah. a few sort of later breakthroughs. We had an epic match yesterday between catch when he took out Davidovich Vakina in the final set breaker. And uh, Davidovich Shakina obviously had the home crowd and it was an amazing atmosphere. It sort of sounded like... Davis Cup we had Pablo Carreño Busta as a Spaniard once again for the third time this year having match points and losing he had two match points on his own serve and he lost to Botic van der Sonschelp and it was I was commentating on that match and that was tough that was it was tough to watch that um, especially knowing that last year in Madrid he was 6-3 4 love up I believe before losing his match so a bit of a some mental demons going on for for PCB and
0: especially with your soft spot for PCB we must not Absolutely. forget you have a soft spot for PCB. we haven't heard about your soft spot because you you sort of wandered off to Riley Opelka for a little bit but we've oh, got Belka. to remember that no I'm, I'm I'm all in on Alejandro at the moment oh right okay well it, well uh, th- th- it means I have to mention Andre Rublev obviously yes um currently I know this can be very out of date but at, we always need to give a mention to Rublev. He's uh, setting a break up on Dan Evans, because that was the match, wasn't it, that was moved to kick things off in replace of the the Djokovic, yeah. Djokovic. Belgrade champion Rublev. Yeah, of course. Cool. He's, he's doing well, isn't he? Um hopefully he'll believe in himself fully, but it, he looks like he's got a good lead over over Dan Evans. We've also got Alcarath in the this top half of this draw, and I think Herkatch you yeah. mentioned top half of the draw, and Norrie. Is in there too? So and then it feels like so the bottom half you've got what a Zverev in there you've got a Sitsapas in there you you know it's it's full I mean this this Madrid draw is heaving, it really is it is absolutely heaving it's hard
1: to uh, it's hard to pick a winner of course all eyes on on Nadal and Djokovic to see what level uh, they can bring but you know Sitsapas has been playing very very well as well and Alcaraz. Um, Interestingly, yep. in an interview that he did uh, this week, he doesn't like being called, called Carlos. Did you hear this one? No. What? What? What do you want to be called? Doesn't li- he said, <laughs> "I don't like Carlos. Uh, I think it's Carlitos that he prefers, um, the Spanish version. Or get this, Charlie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I mean, so what? So I suppose Car- is Carlos the Spanish for Charles?
1: Well, I guess so. I don't know. I, mean, I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, because the must be Moya. Carlos Moya was. Uh, Charlie, i remember a couple yes, of references to Charlie, Charlie, Moya. Charlie Moya. So yeah, so Carlos saying, but I, I can't, I can't introduce him as Charlie. Mo, Charlie, not Charlie Moya. Charlie Alcaraz. Anyway, it was just quite funny, just the way that it was. Uh, it was said. It was or uh, even Carlitos Car- or Charlie.
0: Yeah, even if you say, oh, you know, even if you say Carlitos, it sounds like you're being over friendly. Do you know what I mean? That sounds like. Yes, Uh, a nickname, exactly. So they're either going to say, oh, well, right, look at her using the little nicknames here. And then suddenly, calling. I mean, he has to, I mean, I guess it gets to a point if, I guess, look, there's Sasha and Alexander, I was about to say Drew, but that's the female version, you know, it's, or Alex Zverev. I guess there's, uh, whereas Bublik doesn't want to be called Sasha, he wants to be, you know, so, I mean, I guess if he comes out and says, look, I want to be called Charlie, but he doesn't look like a Charlie, you see what I mean? Mm, Charlie yeah. Alcaraz, it just, it's just, I mean, oh, that's Well, know we'll what? see. Maybe, maybe it'll
1: catch on. Who knows? Maybe he'll change his name. I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll, see. But yes, of course, Alcaraz looking awesome, playing well, fresh off a victory in Barcelona. So maybe he's just going to win every match he ever plays in Spain. That could possibly happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's did, just, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Did we pick a winner for Madrid? Or winners for Madrid? Did we oh, do that? No, no, I we thought, didn't do that. I thought, so, um, I mean, I obviously thought Anja would get to the semi-finals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so really? Case, I, was, I was all in on Alexandreva. <laughs> how were you? Uh, so, now, okay, I think we can still pick a winner in the men's. I think we're still, we're not into it enough. So, okay, now, I, I think it's even harder now, looking how things are shaking. Who's going to win Madrid? Nadal. Is he?
1: Mm yeah look he he played Ketsmanovic in his opening match and Ketsmanovic is one of the players of the season so far now I know he's not in the Nadal levels in terms of you know just winning everything um but Ketsmanovic has been playing at such a high level and it was really interesting actually um that uh we heard because now Bandian is coaching Ketsmanovic and I love this I really want to get stuck into this at some point as well because now Bandian started working with Ketsmanovic at the beginning of 2021 the whole of 2021 was not good for Ketsmanovic like he really really struggled Um, but they clearly saw something long term I mean that is a big coach to get as a player in terms of seeing the potential and obviously for Ketsmanovic to stick with him even though results just weren't coming and then you know it's all coming together now and he is Awesome, but now Bandian. Um, uh, yeah, now Bandian was uh, obviously with um kesmanovich in this match and has experience against uh, Nadal, I think. But uh, I think he was heard uh backstage by one of our cameras. Uh, there was a rain delay when they were off, and it was just okay with his forehand, how it is today. We're not going to go to the forehand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you know there's always that the thing is is there's always a slight question mark he hasn't played for a while he's had a rib injury what's nadal gonna be like and then you go oh it's nadal and the question mark's always over that forehand because there was that one period of time yes where the the weight of the forehand vanished
0: yes it did and
1: it came back and it's been back ever since but there was that one period of time years ago and that's what his opponents cling on to they go well maybe maybe the forehand won't be there and then within the first point they go okay now, I
0: want to think, think that was around 2016, but I'm notoriously bad with the dates. So that might not yeah, be the Yeah, let's a go case. with that. Sounds, I, I, sounds good I, to it me. Sounds, sounds right. Um, I think it's going to be a Nadal-Zverev final. And yeah. Zverev likes his conditions. We know he does. Won it before. He, he can come into form from no form with Zverev. Yes. Um...
1: Oh, um. Zverev didn't look brilliant in his opening match against Chilich. he did very very well he beat him in three a bit of a slow oh. start but it was one of those oh. where he lost the first set and I mean Chilich played really really well but he lost the first set and he just sort of looked like he knew he was going to win um, um he just knew you know after that first set, he got broken a couple of times and he was just thinking well you know i just got to tidy this up and that up and that's fine and then i'll win the match and and that is sort of what happened really um you know so he was right to 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 feel like that but the first time he um the first time he won madrid he didn't get broken at all in the whole tournament no, no and he got that's broken twice in the first it?
0: set against cilic oh well i'm making that as the final and then, yeah, I'll probably edit to it. Well, look, I put Nadal to win Roland Garros. So I've got to give him, and and look, it was great to see Team back. I know he was beaten by Andy Murray, who's had some nice words from at the net, but you know, Team is back and he's playing, and and that's great. Now, something we we didn't have time for last week. I think we were just catching up on everything because because I'd been away. Um, you wanted to talk about an interview that Pam Shriver recently gave.
1: Yeah. So it was. Um, a really courageous thing for her to do um she did an interview it was with the uh, daily telegraph uh in uh the uk and with the tennis podcast um so you can either listen to it or read through it if you'd like um and uh, yeah just detailing the relationship that she had with uh, her coach when she was a teenager and uh they had a romantic relationship starting when she was 17 and he was 50 and um yeah just quite uh it was an extraordinary piece to read but it was something that is um i don't want to say common it's not common but it's something that happens in the world of tennis with coaches and players and you've got uh teenage girls essentially we've talked about it earlier emma coco all these all these uh, young women um and they are essentially operating as professionals uh, in, in the world and, yep. and you have really um, difficult dynamics between coaches and players. And that is what I find really fascinating is that um, the coach is in a position of authority. Uh, so it feels like, and I think this is what Pam was saying, it feels like a breach of trust and responsibility that the person in a position of authority would allow that to happen. It was all consensual. You know, it was all, you know, all all of that is fine. But, you know, again, it's, it's the dynamic of the situation that makes it very interesting. And saw, so I was just interested to see what you sort of thought about it or think about that as a as a thing, because you have so for, for players, what's really challenging, I think, for the female players is you're looking for a coach to come and start uh, take it, take you and your team in a direction and you want them to sort of take charge. But you have this situation where the coach is trying to take charge, but they're not in charge because you could fire them over breakfast. So, yeah. and you can, and, and players do. It happens all the time where the coach has absolutely no idea and one day it's just, it's done. Uh, and that's it. So it's a it's a very insecure job to have and it's a very stressful place to be in. And we see lots of players who do incredibly well and then get rid of coaches and the coaches are left sort of, baffled um you know that's then you have long-term coaches that work with players from such a young age uh, um that happens across both the men's and the women's tour. So it's a very strange environment um and it does leave uh I think it open for sort of exploitation I think of the of young players and for, for coaches to put themselves in a position and be unprofessional uh and uh, it was really a fascinating read that Pam was able to explain her story with all of the nuance, with all of the detail. You know, it's not black and white one way or another. She said she still has mixed feelings towards uh, her former coach. And yeah,
0: it it must be a very hard thing to digest and even harder to try and explain to people. And and I think especially you have some insight in the sense that you've been a young tennis player and you've had these working relationships and you've seen others that have been in situations working with all male groups etc I think coming from myself on the outside at the age of 12 13 I wasn't on a tennis court or any kind of um athletic pitch or place or sports or being put through my paces and having someone working very closely with some do you know what I mean who's a lot older than me sort of trying to guide me and trying to get to some place I was probably I was probably just running around like a lunatic at that age or playing with dolls or probably knowing me watching football or sport or do you know what I mean? So it's very hard to, when you see what she says because Pam Shriver said that the pair's relationship started when she was 17 and her coach was 50 and that just sounds horrific when you see, you know, how could he take advantage of someone at that age? And as you said, it was all very consensual but, you know, she is a young girl who is leaning on someone who is guiding her. They are spending As I say, I I, you know a lot of time together. The 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 families have trust and faith in this person who is guiding this person, and 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 you can see. And I've spoken to a couple of coaches before who have said that they haven't they haven't had inappropriate relationships, but they could see how feelings can start. Do you know what I mean? Because you're with, and this was a male coach, and he was uh, coaching. she was probably late teenager as she was then, but you spend a lot of time together. You are with this person all the time. It's almost like you're in a bubble. Do you know what I mean? You're in a. It's not reality. You're traveling with this person, talking to this person. You might be confiding in this person because that's the only person around there, or the only person that will understand what you're going through. Again, I'm coming from completely the the outside of outside of this. I I can see how those relationships. Would start to form when you're when you're in this bubble of maybe two or a few more, and this person is is sort of guiding you, and you're you're relying on this person to achieve a dream, to achieve a goal. Um, and, and Pam Shriver said she believes that abusive coaching relationships are alarmingly common in sport as a whole. So it's a quote from the interview. So not we're not talking tennis, we're talking lots of other sports. I think I think for me though, the thing she was asked about solutions. You know, how do you solve this? And her quote was, I don't have all the answers. I think it's possible to educate young athletes, but you probably have to start before they even reach puberty. Maybe when they're 11, 12 or 13, by the time they graduate to the main tennis tour, many patterns have already been set. And then she goes on to talk about the coaches, but just dealing with the players, it seems extraordinary, doesn't it? That as I said, at the age of eleven, I probably didn't have a care in the world and was playing with my friends and having sleepovers or whatever. That the age you would have to sit down with an eleven-year-old, and and try and educate them on on this type of thing is just wow. That that's quite hard to comprehend coming from completely outside of it. Yeah, uh, and it's difficult because
1: all of this stuff does get set very early on. It's why we just don't see many female coaches, for example, on the tour, because it is just ingrained into young girls that they need a man to to be leading things. I mean, think of all the phenomenal former female players there are. There are thousands, tens of thousands littered through the world. You can't tell me none of them want to, to coach, um, you know, and it, it's... Uh, it's just that that's not what the players are looking for and it's a silly thing it doesn't mean anything it's just it that's what they were sort of trained to look for um from being very very young so it's very hard to go against that
0: um and yeah that's that's what I think but but is it it also is it also harder and and you might relate to this more now you've you've got baby Rog that I know we've said it's possible but is it also maybe I don't know this you may have spoken with former female players who have families harder because if if a player came up to you and said Naomi I want you to travel with me 48 weeks a year I'm guessing you're going to say no partly largely because you have a family and, and baby Rog so is, is that part of the issue as well that it is easier in many respects for a male coach to go away and and be away for those big chunks on tour sure well it can be but i've never been asked
1: so you, you like it it might be that that is a situation but yeah. i've never been asked i think did Billie jean king once say like a few years ago she's like no one's ever asked me to coach them i'm Billie jean king this is ridiculous <laughs> like it's you crazy. know because we were having the phases of the um super coaches with boris um and uh let's not talk about boris for the moment <laughs> we can do that, wow. on that we don't have time <laughs> we don't have time i don't know where that came from um we, uh, but you know, we we had that. You've got Goran now, of course, um, with with Djokovic, and it's just not the case for for the women. And as I say, if it was the case that they'd all been asked and they'd all said, "No, you know, it's just not for me," then sure, I'd entertain the idea. But they haven't been asked. They're not sitting there. Go, you know, Steffi Graf isn't sitting there thinking, "Oh, I wish these players would stop asking
0: me to do some work." <laughs> you know,
1: like it, it's. So maybe as say, the assumption
0: not- is made that you wouldn't do it because of your situation.
1: I don't know. Maybe. Um, or or as I say, I personally think it's just that they don't, people, the players do not look for. It's not that they don't want, it's that they don't look for, they're not trained to, to look for that. So um, it does mean that, you know, we have an overwhelming, overwhelming um, coaching uh group of of men on on the tour and it it's it's shocking shockingly bad that that there aren't loads of female coaches it just it just doesn't make any sense um so you know that that's part it, but that is a big part of it that's part of the 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 jarring uh that is stopping it it from happening Uh, but I think it's also important with this discussion and I think this is why I love what Pam's piece so much and this is a conversation I have a lot if I'm talking about potentially a coach that's behaved inappropriately or unprofessionally or somebody who has a track record of unprofessional behavior could be a safeguarding issue might not be you know tennis I I can't speak for other countries but tennis in this country the LTA the safeguarding stuff has has really gone through the roof they they, it's such a big big focus Uh, they work very very hard on it now but they were playing catch-up, like all sports were, uh, on it. And But there is a big difference, you know, that sometimes it could be appropriate that a coach is not allowed to coach anymore, but they haven't necessarily done anything that's illegal and is going to put them in prison. Like, there are different levels to things, right? Like So, obviously, I, I find that I have that conversation a lot when I'm saying this coach should not be allowed to coach anymore, for example, or... or or whatever it is yeah Uh, and then people will respond and be like yeah but you know they haven't done anything illegal and i'm like yeah i know but i'm not saying they should be in prison you know it's a a totally different conversation you know there's there's one thing of like should this person be allowed to operate in society at all and i'm like well yeah they that's fine um but should they be allowed to travel the world with with teenage girls no Right. And, and that's, that's the difference. And I think, and I would love for us, and I I think we will get there, but I would love for us to get closer, I think, particularly with the WTA, but the ATP to, um, to being able to ban coaches that they feel have been inappropriate, um, and uh, should not be on the tour. And as I say, it's difficult because that means you have to have your own set of rules, your own investigations. A lot goes into that. That is not an easy thing to do because you can't just do it willy-nilly, obviously. But as I say, there's a big difference between somebody who is breaking the law and should be arrested and somebody who should not be in charge of... It could be junior girls. It could be It could be women in their 20s. It doesn't matter if somebody is... is unprofessional and is not um, sticking to the rules then I think that should be looked at
0: and do you think things will be put in motion that there will start to be changes whether it be Pam Shriver speaking out now or the safeguarding you said that the LTA have have put in place that's gone through the roof recently do you see there being a change in the future do you see there being anything done at the moment to change things I think there will be I
1: think as I say we've been playing catch up a lot all the sports have I think tennis has done a re- the LTA have done a really good job in this country of catching up because everyone's had to do it um, but now that they are catching up I would love to see them drive forward with with something like that um, and I think WTA ATP um, just to you know put put
0: some uh, procedures in in place now for for that sort of thing to happen. I think it's it's an interesting discussion. I'm glad we chatted about it. As you mentioned, the Telegraph to read it, the tennis podcast to listen to Pam Shriver. It was so interesting, the interview she gave. But before your subconscious starts talking about Boris again, um, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. <laughs> Let's <laughs> not do Boris. That's for another time. Um, but enjoy the rest of Madrid. I think I did finally come down on the side of Nadal. So enjoy the rest of Madrid. And then next week, it's all about Rome. It is a See you Bye.